sons and daughters of Scotland here. I have a true son of Scotland here, Gregor. And uh, yeah, this is, this is about how the Presbyterian Church started. If you've ever heard of the Presbyterian Church, just a bunch of Scottish people out in the mist preaching about Jesus. You know, I think uh, for the American church, this is a little bonus material. wasn't thinking about sharing this, but just thought about it in the moment. You know, in this pandemic, we're starting as American Christians to understand what Christians historically and, and today in most parts of the world's, world experience. You know, going to church is not uh, this luxurious consumer experience for most people. And it never has been. It's been how do we gather with, with the saints to build one another up. And, that, and that's the series that we're in, isn't it? Um, and we'll do whatever it takes. <laughs> Rain, shine, mist, persecution. That's the way the church of Jesus Christ has functioned throughout most of history. And only, only in this tiny little brief moment uh, <laughs> in America do we have the luxury of air conditioning, of central heating, of acoustic accompaniment that helps you take an acoustic blast and personify it across the World Wide Web or through speakers. It's just such a rare thing. And so I just hope um, as, you know, who knows how much longer we'll go in this um, gritty time for us as a church, uh, but I hope what you, what you are, are feeling and understanding is that um, there is nothing sweeter than worshiping with God's people, no matter how that comes, no matter how we have to do that. And uh, to be honest, actually, it's a beautiful day <laughs> right now, so it's, I, I wish it was a little bit mistier and a little bit foggier. It would have felt a little bit more authentic what I'm saying. This is actually quite comfortable. The smell, the wafting smell of Dick's hamburgers behind us, I mean, this is quite, quite comfortable. But um, I, I, just, I just want us to not forget this as we just hope for normal to come back, right? even normal in how we worship and, and sort of the things that we get to do when we worship. I hope in, in hoping and waiting um, and surviving till normal comes back that we don't forget the beauty of the struggle, the beauty of this grit, the beauty of this gravel parking lot, the wet stone, uh, the must in the air, whatever it is, just remember this moment that nothing can stop us from worshiping our King, our Savior, our Lord, no matter what, Okay. No matter what, maybe, maybe in our generation, this might be the most challenging thing that we as the church go through, but it won't be for generations to come. How can we model for them what it means to continue to build one another up, even in times like these? So there's a little bonus material. <laughs> I just, um, I love this. There's something, I think, very true and authentic about what we're doing here. And so that's, that's just a good segue here into this build-up series that we're in today, and, and I just want to give you the big idea of my sermon up front so that it doesn't get lost. Uh, last week was actually my first time sitting in a parking lot service while Ryan preached, and uh, I realize it can be distracting at times with the gravel parking lot, the noise from 45th, the smell of the hamburgers. Uh, all of it is distracting, so I just want to make sure you don't miss that. Here's the big idea for today's sermon, so write it down if you're taking notes. Use your tongue as a gift of grace rather than an agent of destruction. Use your tongue as a gift of grace rather than an agent of destruction. 
It's probably uh, not a surprise what inspired this week's sermon. I have a, a list of things that I want to talk about in this build-up series, where we're talking about as the world tears down, as we seem to be more polarized, as we seem to be more at odds, as we seem to be more venomous towards one another, the call of Christ on us as God's people is to build up again and again and again in Scripture. We, we, we see this command, this imperative to build up one another in the church and our world outside the church. And, um, and so as I sit on Tuesday night and watch every minute of the presidential debate, I am just devastated by the state of humanity on display for the world to see. The words that came to my mind were disaster, embarrassing, a referendum on the status quo. But I think the word that sort of stuck the more and more I've talked about it with others is just dumpster fire, right? Felt like a dumpster fire. You know, many of you have heard me uh, talk about C.S. Lewis's great book, The Great Divorce, which is an analogy for the world. And it talks about this place called the Gray City, which is a place apart from God. That debate was for me hell on earth. Like, this is what the Gray City will be like. People talking over each other. People not listening to one another. People operating out of selfish ambition. People unable to control their worst urges. It was a dumpster fire. And what was that dumpster fire? Like, like literally what was happening that the, the world, you know, like listening to the pundits afterwards, it's just like their, their jaw drops open and they, they just don't even know what to say. But what was actually happening on the stage? The only thing that was happening was what? It was a war of words, right? There was no physicality. It was literally just words being thrown back and forth. A war of words. Words that devastate democracy. Words that destroy public discourse. Words that erode the trust that we have in the political system. Words, words, words. And so if you've ever heard the old adage, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me, it's the biggest lie there ever was. Of course words can hurt. In fact, words are the thing that start dumpster fires. So let me read you the text for today. If you've got your Bible, turn to James chapter 3. Google it if you'd like, James chapter 3. I'll give you a second to get there. If you're watching online, it'll be up on the screen for you. James chapter 3. Let me just read this for you. And, and one of the things I want you to listen to is just really what was so devastating about watching the debate and even just the, the place that we're at as a country is, is that this, this is a referendum on the state of humanity apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. If the world was just reading James chapter 3, if the world was just looking at the words of Jesus, if, if the world was just doing the things that the scriptures have told us to do, this dumpster fire wouldn't be happening. So just listen 
to James chapter 3, because I think part of what we have to start doing as a people is start with the Word of God and let that shape the way we live and act. Because without it, it's not going well. James chapter 3 says this. Now this is interesting. He's talking about, the context here is he's talking to people that want to become teachers in the church. They, they want to have a platform. They want to have a stage. They want to be orators. And James says, listen, not many of you should become teachers. Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who, ha- uh, who is never at fault in what they say, what they speak, is perfect. Able to keep their whole body in check. See what he's saying? Now it's a kind of a rhetorical He's saying, obviously nobody can do this. And he's going to explain why. He says, when we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. Just think, walking through the Woodland Park Zoo, I've got an I've got a annual pass. I go to the zoo all the time with my kids. We've tamed all types of animals, but no, verse 8, but no human being can tame the tongue. No human being. None is without sin in this area of his or her life. Verse 10, out of this, or sorry, Uh, Verse 9, or sorry, verse (laughs) 8. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, just like we did. We sing praises to God. And with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. You know, this isn't new, guys. That the tongue starts a fire. Now, we've experienced, haven't we, the effects of a forest fire. We see that it affects both the forest and it can affect people hundreds of miles away. Think about that dumpster fire. Think about how many people it affects, is affecting, will affect, because the tongue cannot be tamed by human beings alone. This tiny little organ of our body, the tongue, is like a rudder. It steers the whole ship. 
That's why this debate was so disastrous in my mind for our nation and for our world because it both reveals the path that we've been on for quite some time and it also sets the course for where we're going. That's not a world I want to be a part of. Now, if you've been with us, we've talked in this sermon series about building up is like, uh, I, I talked about being at Mark and Megan Lawrence's wedding and there was these tall um, trees, hundreds of feet tall, and, and they were blowing in the wind. And I was staring up at them and I was just watching them blow and it's, it's like the whole forest was going to fall over. It was so windy that day. But then I let my eye come down and I look at the ground and, and that tree's not moving at all. Because it has been built up for probably hundreds of years, rooted deeply in solid ground. And that's what we need to be like as the people of God, deeply rooted. So even when the wind blows hard, we will, because we are being built up, we will sway, but we are rooted. And now, now I was thinking about this analogy that James talks about, about uh, the tongues like a spark that could start a forest fire. Guess what? The one thing, even if we're deeply rooted as the people of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ and his grace and in his truth and in his word, guess what could still burn down that forest? The tongue. It's a blaze. So we have to be very, very, very honest with ourselves and careful with our tongue. Use your tongue as a gift of grace rather than an agent of destruction. Jesus said that. You want to know what Jesus said about the tongue? He said this. Do you not, this is quoting Jesus, okay? Do you not know that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Don't need to explain that to you. This is how it works. But whatever comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. That's what Jesus said. Use your tongue as a gift of grace rather than an agent of destruction. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this. It says, So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll, be, so you'll all be together in this. No one left out. No one left behind. I know you're already doing this, so keep doing it. That's from the message translation. Keep speaking encouraging words. Don't stop, because that is what builds one another up. So there's tremendous power in our words. Power to build up or power to tear down? Tremendous power. Will you be people that choose to speak Empowering words, words that build up, strengthen, encourage, or will you use your words to tear down, destroy, tear apart? Now, I want to be really careful here because at this point, you could say, well, I've heard lots of people say this, not just Christians, you know, it's, it's about um, being positive, you know, there's... Uh, there's a, a Netflix documentary called The Secret, which talks about this movement that happened. Um, it's kind of a new age movement about uh, the secret, which is you can speak things into existence. 
by just thinking positive thoughts, speaking positive thoughts, putting things on uh, your corkboard that you want, and, and you can manifest them through positive thinking and positive talk. That's not what we're talking about here. Now, it is true that just doing the words of Jesus, watching your tongue, speaking encouraging words, talking to yourself, telling yourself how great you are and that people like you. And, you know, there's a funny SNL skit about that. Um, Stuart Smalley, you know. Um, again, Gregory, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. Um, gosh darn it, people like me. You know, positive talk works. And it works because it's tapping into the reality of God's world in which the tongue can speak gifts of grace and build up. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about hacking in to the gospel economy and just taking some of the goods. I'm not saying loot the scriptures and use it to benefit yourself. That's, that's not what I'm talking about here. So let me show you now. Now we're going to dig a little bit deeper. Let me show you that I'm not talking about positivity here, but I'm actually talking about building one another up with the tongue in the sense that Jesus taught us to, okay? And Jesus made possible for us to do through his cross and resurrection, okay? So now, turn uh, to another, well, you don't need to turn there. I'll just read it to you. We'll have it on the screen. Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. So you get lots of sources here. James, the brother Jesus, Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul, talking about the power of the tongue. And um, Paul says this in Ephesians 4. He says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. That's pretty clear. Zero. No. That's what the word no means. Zero corrupting talk come out of your mouth. But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let me say that again. So that it may give grace to those who hear. Okay. No corrupting talk, but only speak for building up so that it may give grace to those who hear. Now let me read you another passage. This is uh, Mark 14. And it's actually a very interesting passage because uh, this is at Jesus' trial in front of the high council in Israel. And people are actually bringing accusation against Jesus. And they're quoting something that Jesus himself had said, something that John records Jesus saying. But this is in Mark 14. He says this, We heard him say, this is the crowd yelling at his trial, We heard him say, we heard Jesus say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another. Not made with hands. Okay? Now, the people are sort of misunderstanding and misquoting Jesus, but this is something that Jesus had said, and he was actually talking about his own body. Not, not specifically talking about the temple in Israel, which was the center of religious and social life in Jerusalem and for the entire nation. So the idea that Jesus was talking about tearing down that temple, that was a big deal, and people were really upset set by it. But Jesus is talking about his own death and predicting his resurrection that he'll build up, and he'll build up a new kingdom that's not made with hands. So Jesus' kingdom is not primarily made with hands. That's the point I want to drive home here. Jesus' kingdom is not primarily made with hands. Jesus said that time and time again, that my kingdom is not made with brick and mortar. So the question is, if it's not made with hands, this building of a kingdom 
What is it made with? What is the kingdom of Jesus made with? Well, guess what? It's made with words. It's made with words. And should that surprise us? If Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh, wouldn't it make sense that he'd build his kingdom in the same way that God built this world? And how did God build this world? If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you just turn to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2 talk about the creation story. And what does it say? How did God make the world? He spoke. He spoke the world into existence. So God the Father built the kingdom of this world with words, and Jesus is building a new kingdom with words. John 1, the Gospel of John, talking about the life of Jesus, begins this way and says, In Jesus, the Word, the Logos, the same Logos that God created all of creation with, the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Talking about Jesus, that Jesus is the Word incarnate. And so what is this kingdom? It's a kingdom of words. A kingdom of words. Now, what kind of words? What kind of words? So I've got in my notes here, it says a grace jam. Every time I read this in my notes, I think of space jam. It says nothing to do with space jam. But I had to say it because that's how my personality works. Otherwise, I'd be thinking space jam the whole time. So I'm going to do a little jam on grace. You don't need to turn here. This won't be on the screen, but I'm going to read for you from Exodus 34. Exodus is the second book of the Bible, and a prophet named Moses, who was the one who took the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, after he had done that, he goes up on a mountain, and, and God speaks to him and gives him the law, the law that's supposed to govern God's people for their thriving and for a witness to the world. And it says in 34, verse 6, that the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed. So this is the Lord, Yahweh, speaking to Moses on the mountain, saying this, quote, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting inequity on the fathers of the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation, end quote. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. So basically what's happening here is God is proclaiming to Moses, this is who I am. And what does he say? What's the first thing he says? I am a God who is merciful and gracious. Now, this Hebrew word gracious, kanan, is the word um, that eventually in the New Testament gets translated into the Greek word charis, which is grace. So wherever you see this word in the Old Testament, uh, actually comes from the stem hen, it means grace. Now hen, every time you see it, is basically the idea of giving to someone something that they did not deserve. Okay? That's the idea of hen. And that's the same idea in the New Testament for charis, charis, which is the Greek word for grace, giving something that is not deserved. Now, it's interesting. Um, in the Old Testament, this Hebrew word for um, grace is applied to different things. It's applied to jewelry, so giving an ornament of grace. 
Again, a gift that's not deserved, a great gift that brings delight to the soul. And in Psalm 45, it's also used when speaking about King David, it says this, your lips have been anointed with hen, with grace. Meaning what? The psalmist is writing in in this particular psalm about the king saying that the king speaks because he speaks from God, because David was a man after God's own heart, that from his lips comes grace. So let me put these two ideas together, that the kingdom of Jesus that was inaugurated by his death, resurrection, and ascension is a new kingdom of words, words of grace. Now, how how else have you maybe heard that term, words of grace or message of grace? That's the gospel. That's the good news. This is what Jesus told his disciples to do after he ascended into heaven. He said, I want you to go into all the nations and share the good news, the gospel. The gospel of what? The gospel of God's grace in Jesus Christ. That God, in his great mercy and graciousness, has not given you what you deserve, which is death and eternal separation from him, but he's given you his son as a gift so that you might be made righteous and whole in the sight of God and be reunited in perfect relationship with him now and forevermore. Go and speak this word of grace. That's how I'm going to build my kingdom. So, the beginning of speaking grace into the world and using your tongue is to begin by sharing the gospel message. God sent Jesus. Jesus died for you. Jesus rose from the dead so that you can rise too. That's the gospel message. When's the last time you shared that with somebody? When's the last time you used your lips to speak the grace of God into somebody's life? That's where it starts. If you're not doing that, start doing that. If you want to use your tongue as a gift of grace rather than an agent of destruction, start by sharing the gospel message about Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and how he connects us back to God despite our sin. That's where you start, but it's not where you stop. That's not the only way to use your tongue as a gift of grace. Preaching is important, but there's so many other ways to speak gifts of grace. So, so let me break it down. Just to, I never know if I'm making any sense, by the way. We let the Spirit of God do that. He'll make sense in your mind if you let him, if you, if you let him uh, make sense of the babble. <laughs> okay, but let me just repeat so that I can make this crystal clear how this works, this kingdom of the words of grace. God is the God of hen, charis. He's the God of grace. That just is who he is. God sends his son, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, and grace becomes flesh and walks and talks and dies and rises and ascends. Jesus proves out and lives out ultimate grace on the cross by dying in your place, paying the penalty for your sin, clearing the way for your relationship now with God the Father 
through the Son, by the Spirit. And then the resurrection vindicates that grace and says grace works. Grace wins. Grace doesn't end up falling short. The resurrection proves that. Because some people would say that never is going to work. So the only way to get what you want is to bully and push and destroy. Not grace. The resurrection proves that grace works. That it wins. That it accomplishes the greatest and most impossible of tasks that could ever be. Reconnecting broken, sinful, fallen, rebellious humanity with their creator. If grace can do that, it can do anything, right? Do you see what I'm saying? The resurrection proves that grace wins. Then Jesus ascends to heaven. And we did a whole series on this back in the spring. You can go on, why did he leave? Why would grace in the flesh leave? And Jesus says, I got to go so that I can send what? The spirit of grace. Because you know what? The spirit of grace is not bound by one person, but it can fill the hearts of all who call on Jesus Christ and believe in his name and confess with their lips and believe in their heart that, he, that God rose him from the dead. Every single person can be filled with this spirit of grace. And then guess what? Now you're an instrument of grace. And now you can take that message of grace and you can be an instrument of grace all over the world. Jesus said, that's why I have to go and I'll send my spirit. The spirit of God, which is the spirit of grace, which overwhelms believers when they surrender their will to God and let him lead. That's, my friends, how the kingdom of grace through the word of grace is built. When Christ followers with this Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of grace, speak gifts of grace into the ether and begin to transform the world into the image of God. It's okay to say amen, church. <laughs> the Scottish were always a little quiet. Always a little quiet. This is how... God is building up his kingdom. It's the way he's sending gifts of grace into the world in big and small ways. You see how that's a little bit different than just positive talk? You see that it's literally the way God is distributing himself into this fallen creation? And he's doing it through you and me. And it's not just about saying nice things. Or flattery. It's about literally being filled with the Spirit of the God of grace and speaking words of grace into the hearts and minds of people who desperately need it. And when that happens, people will be built and rooted up because your gift of grace is rooted and built up in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me read Ephesians 4:29 again. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such talk as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Your words literally give the life that is God's grace to people. And if you don't speak them, you're stealing. You're stealing some grace from them. Now, I'm not talking about the gift of salvation, but there's more to God's grace than just salvation in Christ. And if you choose not to speak that when God puts it into you, 
right? So in the mind of God, he needs to remind my brother Joshua that he's created in his image, that he's loved, that no matter what he does, no matter what job he has, no matter how long he has to wait, no matter what he's given up, that I still love you, brother. That I have not forsaken you, that I will never forsake you. That is God speaking through me to you. That you are not valuable because of what you do, but because of who you are and who saved you. You see how this works? This is how the gift of grace flows through you. My lips, your lips. So no, let no corrupting talk come out of those same lips. Think of how confusing that is to somebody when you preach the gospel and the next thing you say is you're tearing them down. How do they know what's true and what's not? This is how God is building up his kingdom. This is how he's building up believers. This is how he's building up his world and transforming it into his kingdom. Use your tongue as a gift of grace rather than an agent of destruction. I'm going to give you a few personal practicalities of how you can do this. How can you use your tongue as a gift of grace rather than an agent of destruction? Well, Romans 10 tells us this. Romans 10, another letter written by the Apostle Paul, says this. But what does it say? And he's quoting. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because, this is a great, memorize this verse, memorize this verse. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See how important the mouth is? It doesn't just say believe in your heart. It says confess with your lips and your mouth that Jesus is Lord. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. See the power of the mouth? To speak true words about who Jesus is? This is the first thing you need to learn to do. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Do it often. Do it in public. Perhaps even if somebody curses the name of Jesus, uses his name as a curse word, you say, well, actually, he's my Lord. Thanks for bringing him up. You want to talk about him? The name Jesus is not a curse word. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Practicality number two. Speak encouraging words to one another. Seems so simple. <laughs> Let's look back at 1 Thessalonians 5.11. It says, so speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so that you'll all be together in this. No one's left out. No one's left behind. So build up one another with your words. Now, this is so important to understand the context of 1 Thessalonians. When he says this, the Apostle Paul is talking about persevering until Christ comes back. And he says he can come back right before this. He says he can come back at any moment, guys. He's, he's like, you might not even want to fall asleep at night because he might come back. And so in that context of like, we don't know how much time we have left, Paul says, do what in that time? Speak encouraging words. Build one another with words. Give gifts of grace with words. So what's the point? Don't let it slide to the next day. If God fills your mind and your heart with a word of encouragement, send it right away. 
Send it to your brother or sister in Christ. Call them on the phone. Do not wait to tomorrow. You don't know if, what tomorrow brings. If God fills you up with a word of encouragement, a gift of grace, do not hold on to that. Don't put it over here in a bank and say, I'm going to save up all my great words about Joshua until I can really sit down with him and buy him a steak dinner and tell him how much uh, God loves him. No. In that moment, right there, you don't know when Jesus is coming back. You don't know when he'll take your life and call you home. Call, text, email, right now. Don't wait. That's what 1 Thessalonians 5 is talking about. I wish I could preach a whole sermon on that. Practicality number three. It's not just words of encouragement. You also are called by God to speak words of correction, words of rebuke, calling people to repentance. So the Bible tells us, speak both grace and truth. Grace and truth. So it's not just speaking nice things, it's also speaking hard things. Hey, brother, I don't think that that way of life is bringing glory to God. And, and listen, that's so hard to do well because it, it takes great shrewdness to speak a word of truth without crushing someone. And so I'm going to preach a whole sermon on it next week. <laughs> So I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to talk about the prophet Nathan as he confronts the king of Israel shrewdly. I'm going to talk about it next week. So I know you're like, how do I do that? How do I speak a word of correction? We'll talk about it next week, so don't miss that. Practicality number four, apologize, apologize when your tongue has started a fire. James 3 tells us, that every, every human teacher, every human being that's ever lived cannot control their tongue perfectly. The only one who never started a fire with his tongue was Jesus. Everyone else that's ever lived and has ever had a tongue, that's ever had a computer screen in front of them, that ever has been able to text message, that ever had the capacity to communicate words, whether it's acoustically blasted or digitally blasted, has started a fire with their words. That means every single human being has a chance to apologize, to repent, to say, I'm sorry, to say, my words were poison for you. I've thought about it, and I can't believe that I let my tongue speak those destructive, corrupting words. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? That's a gift of grace when you apologize for the way your tongue has misbehaved. So here's my challenge. I want you to do both of these things today. Not tomorrow, not on Tuesday, today. I want you to send an encouraging message that it will be a gift of grace to someone in your life. I want you to think, God, who do you want me to send a gift of grace to? And I want you to just send them an encouraging word. And then the second thing that I want you to do today is allow the Spirit of God to convict your heart about someone that you need to apologize to. And I want you to today apologize. It could be for something that happened 10 years ago. If God brings it to your mind, I want you to be bold and brave and apologize and say, I just thought about this thing that I said to you and I realize that was not from the Lord. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you say that? Will you say to somebody, will you forgive me? I want you to do both of those today. 
And if you can't do both of those today, I, I don't know how to help you. Both of those will be gifts of grace for building up God's kingdom with words. Like an acorn and the oak tree. A word properly spoken, inspired by the Spirit, is like a seed that could harvest an entire forest of grace. Your words matter. They're powerful. Will you allow God to use you and to use your tongue for gifts of grace rather than destruction? What are you going to do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we confess our sin before you, God, that like every other human being that's ever existed, we too have used our tongue for destruction, to start dumpster fires, to tear families apart, to discourage, to devastate, to destroy, to dismantle, to hurt, to wound, for revenge. We've used our tongue, God, And yes, sticks and stones have broken bones, but also our words are hurting people. And we pray a corporate prayer of repentance, God. Change us. Build us up. Transform us into the image of Jesus that we might be gift givers, that we might use our tongue for what it is intended to, to build up. God, hear our cry. Forgive us our sin. Help us to take the first step towards reconciliation with those who we have sinned against. God, help us to be a church that does not divide and burn one another down. Help us to be a church that's filled with words of encouragement. Help no word of encouragement that you put into our heart go unspoken. Help us to preach the gospel, to share with the world the good news of your grace. God, we need your help. We cannot do this alone. We are fallen. We are broken. Our tongues are broken. We need your help. Heal our nation. Heal our politicians. God, help us turn and change the way that we talk for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.